Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your word says rejoice always. And so we do. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. We rejoice in this beautiful day, the sun, the beautiful sky, the earth that we live on. Jesus, you said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. We rejoice that our names are recorded in heaven, that we are going to be with you forever. We rejoice. Your word says to pray without ceasing. Oh, we are a needy people. You know our needs. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would fall fresh that as we open your word, that you would teach us today that we, that we would see lost people one to you and believers built up and workers equipped and disciple makers multiplied. Lord, move among us. We pray for a revival in your church. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? May there be a revival that leads to a great spiritual awakening in our land. May our joy in you be contagious. And then, Lord, you said in everything, give thanks. So we thank you that our sins are washed away. We thank you that we are adopted children of God. We thank you that you, Holy Spirit, have come to live within us. We thank you that we have your word. We thank you for a place to gather together. We thank you that we have food to eat and electricity and cars. We are so blessed and we give you thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Ah, it's good. See, we, we read scripture, then we pray scripture, right? Oh, our scripture reading this morning uh, is from 1 Peter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. And we're going to read verses 5 through 7. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. One Sunday morning, this preacher believed that he was on fire, that he had explained the scripture so clearly to the people. His points were powerful. People laughed at his jokes. When the service was over, person after person came up to him and said, wow, what a great message, what a great message that was. Feeling very tickled with himself, he's in the car riding home with his wife. And he asked his wife, how many great preachers are there in the world today? Silence. Silence. He's thinking maybe, maybe she's just speechless after that message. And so after a while, he asked one more time, sweetheart, how many great preachers are there in the world today? She said, one less than you think there are. <laughs> Nothing like a wife to make sure your hat still fits, right? Nothing like a wife to keep you humble, right? And that's what we're going to be learning about today. The, the point of today's message is to walk humbly with Jesus, to walk humbly with Jesus. Do you want a good marriage? Walk humbly with Jesus. You, you want to be a disciple of Jesus and be good at making disciples? Then walk humbly with Jesus. You want to know how to follow Christ in a hostile culture? Walk humbly with Jesus. Oh, if you're new, we're walking through 1 Peter. And the reason we're studying this together is we're seeking to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. Doesn't it seem like every night when we go to bed and we wake up, the 
culture is just a little more hostile than when we went to bed. And so we're trying to equip you to equip you. And one of the ways I want to equip you is to how to study scripture, how to study scripture. And if we want to understand the passage, like we're about to look at verses 5 through 7, it's helpful to look at the context, what comes before these verses and what comes after these verses. So what comes before these verses, last week when we left off the story, we saw that Jesus loves his church. And so he gave his church leaders called elders. And elders are in a church to lead God's people and to feed them and to protect them and to equip them so that they might go and make disciples. And I said last week, when we're called sheep, it's not a compliment that uh, sheep are dumb and they're smelly and they're defenseless. And some of you thought I was picking on sheep by saying that. But one of our elders knew I was speaking the truth and he sent me a video to share with you to let you know I was telling the truth, okay? See, they really are dumb, right? Set them free, hop right back in. But don't we all know people like that? You go, you bail them out of jail, and what happens? They what? They go right back in. And it's not just other people, isn't it true of us? I mean, how many of us, we have Romans 7 experiences, right? We've sinned and we say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'll never, ever, ever, ever do that again. And what happens? We find ourselves right back in the same mess, right? Um, walk humbly with Jesus. So listen, what comes right before the verses we're about to read is, is we realize that we're sheep, we're sheep. We need leaders. Well, what comes after the verses we're about to read? Um, in verse 8, and this is where we're going next week, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So right after the verses we're about to to look at, we're going to see that we have an adversary who wants to devour us. So what sets up our verse, listen, before it is, is that we're sheep, and after it we have an adversary. So as we unpack, walk humbly with Jesus, the question I'd like to ask is, what, uh, what would walking humbly with Jesus look like? What would it look like if we walked humbly with Jesus? And then I'd like to ask, well, what keeps us from walking humbly with Jesus? And then to ask the question, how can the gospel free us to walk humbly with Jesus? What would it look like to walk humbly with Jesus? In verse 5, it speaks about elders being subject to your elders, and then it talks about one another. When you see the word one another, it's talking about in the church, walking humbly with one another. So the Bible says to walk humbly with Jesus is to do life together in community. It, it's to do life together, being subject to our elders and humble toward one another. I did a wedding last week, and a beautiful couple, and, uh, and they took vows. Uh, they took wedding vows. You, you ever wonder why we take wedding vows? Do you know why we do? Two reasons. The first reason we take wedding vows, it's the greatest expression of love we could ever make. In the presence of God and all these other people, we say, you're the one. You're the one. I love you. I want to spend my life with you. And secondly, secondly, it's a recognition that romantic love alone is not enough to keep us together. 
So we bind ourselves together because you know what? When we do things God's way, we get married, then we have sex, and then what happens? Then you have children. And children deserve a mom and dad. And so when people get married, they say, listen, we're going to bind ourselves together for our children, for the good of the world. And so we, romantic love's not, we bind ourselves in good and bad, right? Because sometimes it's hard. Uh, listen, when someone joins Good News, uh, and we think it's important to belong to, when we join Good News, we take membership vows. You know why we take membership vows? The first reason is because it's an expression of love. This is the church I want to belong to. Here is where I want to become a disciple and make disciple. But secondly, it's a recognition that we're sheep and we're capable of wrecking our lives and we need leaders. And it's a recognition as well that we have an enemy who wishes to devour us, so we lock ourselves in so we're not devoured. So when I do weddings, I always get far more out of the wedding than the couple getting married as I kind of think through my own vows. So I thought it would be good just to, to walk through our membership vows. Good time to renew. The first vow is do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and hopeless without his mercy? Do you realize you're a sinner? Thank you. Do you know the church is the only organization that you join that you have to admit that you're unqualified to join? I mean, isn't that cool? The only qualification to join a church is to admit you're unqualified. The second is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you trust him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Do you hear how radical that is? Most people think they're going to work their way into heaven, but everybody who joins the church says, I'm so rotten, Jesus is my only hope. Listen to the third one, do you now resolve and promise? in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as a follower of Christ should. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple maker. So I'm, listen, I, I, I'm going to seek the power of the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus. Number four, do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? We are needy and needed in the church, and so we join to participate, Right? because we're needy and needed in the church. And then listen to the fifth one. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline in the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Do you realize that we're sheep and we need a leader? We need leaders to lead and feed and protect and equip us. And we have an enemy who wishes to devour us, so we lock ourselves in. So listen, to walk humbly with Jesus means we do it together in a, in a local church. So then, well, what keeps us? What keeps us from walking humbly with Jesus? Pride does. Pride keeps us. Pride says, I don't need a church. I don't need other people in my life. I can do it on my own. I don't need others. I'll never wreck my life. So how then does the gospel free us? How does the gospel free us to walk humbly with Jesus? You see, the gospel is given in the latter part of this verse. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the gospel. Do you ever hear today that you don't want to be on the wrong side of history? Anybody hear that? You don't want to be on the wrong side of history? You know what I don't want to be on the wrong side of? God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God, do you? 
You see the word opposed there? It was kind of a Greek military term. It would be like an army that was set up opposed to another army. The thing I don't want to be on is on the wrong side of God. I don't want God to be opposed to me, do you? I don't want to be on the wrong side of eternity. And notice what it says. God is opposed to the, what, the, but he gives grace to the humble. So this week, you're having lunch with someone. You mentioned grace, and they ask you, what is grace? How would you define it for them? You know, a lot of people tell me, well, well grace is, it's undeserved favor. It's undeserved favor. And, and that's a pretty good, it's pretty good, but it doesn't go near far enough. Grace is ill-deserved favor. It's ill-deserved favor. And you say, well, what's the difference? Here's the difference. You leave here today, and as you leave, you see someone who's poor. And you take out some money, and you give them the money. That's what? That's undeserved favor. I mean, you didn't owe it to them. They didn't deserve it. But you did good to someone who didn't deserve it. What's ill-deserved favor? It's an afternoon. It's a beautiful day. You decide to go for a bike ride, okay? You're riding your bike down the street. Someone hits you with a concrete block and knocks you off your bike. While you're on the ground, they spit in your face, they rip your clothes, they steal your watch, they steal your phone, and while you're lying there, they get up and ride off on your bike. You see them the next day, and you invite them over for dinner. That's what? Ill-deserved favor. You say, that would never happen. But that is the gospel. That is it. It's not that we're undeserving, we're ill-deserving. Let me show you. In Romans 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were living in rebellion to God, sin is very personal. We sin against God. And so we were living in rebellion against God in thought and word and deed, spitting in his face, saying, don't tell us how to live. We'll do life our way. And we, rebelling against God, God says what we deserve for what we have done is hell, which is separation from God and from all good things. But remember, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's, he's gracious towards sinners. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, and he lived a perfect life for us, and then he died for our sins. Do you know how many times I've sinned against God? Willfully. And Jesus died for my sins. Isn't that staggering? He died for our sins on the cross, and he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day, and he offers us eternal life. He offers to forgive us all of our sins. He offers us the chance to do life with him now and life with him forever. And what does he require of us? That we would receive him as our Savior and Lord. Have you? Oh, the verse that changed my life was Revelation 3.20 where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Did you know Jesus knows my name? I mean, seven billion people, he knows my name. Did you, did you know he came to me and said, I want a relationship with you. I want to be your friend. You know what he said is, I want to forgive you of all your sins. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of things wrong. And he wanted to forgive me? 
And he says, I want to move into you, and let's do life together, and let's do eternity together. And that sounded like the greatest opportunity ever to me. And so you know what I did? I admitted I was a sinner, and I believed in Jesus. And then, and then I committed. I, I said, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and Lord. And if you've not done that, won't you? I mean, won't you do that now? Or I'll give you a chance when we close in prayer. Do you hear him knocking? Do, do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to live forever? So many people are so afraid of the pandemic. The greatest thing you can do for the pandemic is receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then you're going to live forever. How do we... How do we do that? Well, we admit, Jesus, you're right, I'm a sinner. And and, and then we believe, Jesus, I believe you died and rose for me. And then we commit, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And if you have, do you hear what Jesus says? The idea of dining together is let's be friends. Let's do life together. I will come into him and we'll dine with him and he with me. How often do you dine with him? Do you know he's waiting for you? Do you dine with him? And when Jesus moves in, you know what he says? I'm Lord, you're not. Follow me, right? And isn't that what it means to walk humbly with Jesus? He leads and we follow? Back to 1 Peter. Did you hear what he said? God is opposed to the proud. So we need to define what's proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's define proud and humble, okay? When I think of proud or pride, I think of being self-absorbed. A proud person is self-absorbed. What is everybody thinking about me? It's all about me. Here's pride. Many years ago, we lived at Milano Beach. And uh, one day I was running up Volano Beach and just south of where we lived there was a campground and there was this boardwalk. And I'm running barefoot up the beach and, and all these people, like hundreds of people are looking right at me. I'm thinking, wow, such a chisel body. And, and I'm just floating so elegantly on the beach. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm amazing, I'm so amazing. And then I look to my right and there was a school of whales dancing in the water. Those people didn't even know that I existed. But that's pride, isn't it? It's being self-absorbed. You know what pride is? It's the donkey Jesus is riding to on, on, into Jerusalem, right? Remember the donkey? He's riding in. Everybody's lining the street. They're all cheering. And the donkey's thinking, listen, they're doing that for me. They're doing that for me. No, no, it's Jesus, right? Listen. Pride is being self-absorbed. It's always thinking about ourselves. You know what pride is? It's being self-confident, excessively self-confident. Listen, I'm a good person. I don't need a savior. I can save myself. I don't need a church. I'll never wreck my life. You know what pride is? Uh, I get to quote Don King. You know who Don King is? Do you ever think I get to quote him in church? You know what Don King said? I never cease to amaze myself. You know what pride is? It's that, right? I never cease to amaze myself. Remember Muhammad Ali? He would always say what? I, what? I am the greatest. That's pride. Pride is I never cease to amaze myself and, and I am the greatest. You know what humility is, what it means to be humble? It means to be Jesus absorbed. It means you're Jesus. you've seen Jesus, and then you look at yourself, right? And, and you no longer realize it's all about you, right? 
Matter of fact, when you see Jesus and you see yourself, you understand two things. A humble person understands, I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior, right? Listen, being humble doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves. Oh, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. It's just thinking of ourselves less. When a humble person walks in a room, he's not consumed with, what do people think about me? When someone is Jesus-absorbed, when they walk into a room, they look at others and think, who can I talk to? Who can I encourage? Who can I share Christ with? They're Jesus-absorbed. And uh, they're Jesus-confident. They're Jesus confident. They're not people who think I can't do anything. They're people who say, I can do. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can change. I can love difficult people. I can win people to faith in Christ. I can lead a small group. I can make disciples. I can do all things. Not because I'm great, but the great one lives in me. Okay, so now, now we understand what pride is and what it means to be humble. And um, let me show you how the gospel frees us, how the gospel frees us to walk humbly with Jesus. Notice again in verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. What does that look like? Many years ago, a young couple here at Good News, Mike and Teresa, they wanted to get married. And so they came and said, hey, you know, could we get married? And I said, yes, but you need to go through pre-marriage counseling. So we tried to hook them up with a young couple like them. And you know what they said? We don't want a young couple. We don't want a couple who looks like us. We want an old couple. We want a couple who've been married for a long, long, long time because we want to learn from those who know what they're talking about. Isn't that what this is about? That when we realize that we're sinners and we can wreck our life, we want to listen to those that are more mature, right, and wise. Another example of couple come to me uh, they, they said hey you know would you officiate at our wedding and, and uh, the, the, the bride-to-be has been divorced before she's been divorced and, and I said I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it and but, but you need to go through pre-marriage counseling you know what she said oh man I need it I need it I mean I was married before and, and it didn't go well at all I would love someone to help me isn't that great isn't that humility you have no idea how many people I've talked to that have been married two, three, or four times to say, you know, you really need to go through pre-marriage counseling. They say, well, I've been married before, you know. <laughs> it's going to like, yo, like, how did it go? Huh? How did it go? <laughs> oh. So listen, the gospel frees us when we realize we're sinners with a great Savior. We're, we're willing to be subject to leaders. We realize we need someone to lead us and feed us and protect us and equip us. Now notice also, that's with our leaders. What about with one another? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. We're to be humble in our dealings with one another. Well, what does that look like? How about in Galatians 6? In Galatians 6, verse 1, brethren... Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. When you hear about a Christian wrecking their life in some major way, do you say, how could that happen? I mean, do you ever read the Bible? Do you know there's only one thing that Christians are immune to? Only one thing. 
You know what we're immune to, right? What? Hell. The only thing Christians are immune to is hell. Christians are not immune to divorce, immorality, drug abuse, horrible tempers. We're not. So when we hear about a Christian who's wrecked their life, we should be, we should be heartbroken, but we should never be shocked. If you read the Bible, you'll see great heroes and heroes in the faith. They wreck their lives too. But here's the question. See what he says, if anyone's caught in any, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Um, when you hear about a Christian and they've wrecked their lives with immorality or drugs or with divorce, do you say, how could they be so stupid? I will never do that. Oh, be careful. Be careful because the Bible says what? That pride goes before the fall and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Don't ever imagine that it couldn't happen to you. You know what happens to me when I see people far more godly than I am, far more mature, wreck their marriages and their life? You know what I say? Jesus, Jesus, how can I keep from wrecking my marriage? How can I keep from wrecking? How? And I always say, is there some switch? Is there some switch that I can just switch? And then it makes me immune to wrecking my life. And you know what Jesus says? There's no switch, but there is a plan. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what it means to, to abide? It means to be with a friend who loves us and to stay there. We invited Jesus to come and live in our hearts, right? You know what it means? We keep having breakfast with Jesus. We keep having breakfast with Jesus, right? Listen, I've been married for a long time. And I've been a pastor for a long time. And, and you know how I, I've made it without wrecking it? Every Sunday morning, you know where I am? Do you know where I am, right? I'm here. <laughs> because I need Jesus and I need others. Do you know where I am every Sunday night? Every Sunday night, I'm gathered with believers. I'm there with Jesus and his people. Do you know where I am? Every morning, I get up and have breakfast with Jesus. And you say, oh, Smiley, you're so good. That's not it. That's not it. The reason I'm here, the reason I get up and have breakfast with Jesus is I'm not good. But I don't want to wreck my life, and I don't want to wreck my ministry. So I stay close to the friend who loves me. I need Jesus, and I need others, and you do too. How many people over the years, you know, small, I, I don't need to be involved in church. I don't need to go to a small, I, I don't need that. And then, you know what, I've watched them wreck their lives. I want you to walk humbly with Jesus because then we recognize we need a church. We need leaders. We need others in our lives. Verse 6 Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What would it look like? What would it look like to walk humbly with Jesus? We would obey him. We would obey him. When he says, follow me, we'd say yes. But what keeps us from walking in obedience to Jesus? It's our pride. It's our pride. Jesus says, share our faith. And if I shared my faith, someone might laugh at me. Jesus says, give generously. Well, if I gave, there wouldn't be enough money left for me. We think we know better how to live our lives than Jesus. That's pride. How does the gospel free us? 
Notice what it says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He doesn't want to make you miserable, that he may exalt you at the proper time. If you humble yourself and walk in obedience, he'll exalt you. I want you to know why I'm so thankful to be a Christian. We have the best leader ever. We do. He says, follow me. I'd never make it. As a Muslim, I'd never make it. I'm meeting with the imam, and he says, the only way you can know you're going to heaven is to die in a jihad. Here's a suicide vest. You know what I would say, right? What would you say? Hey, what? Why don't you go first? Why don't you show me how, right? But Jesus does go first, and he goes farthest, right? And then he says, follow me. What does it look like? What does it look like to walk in humble obedience and then be exalted? How about in Philippians 2? Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The father said, I want you to go and save people. And he says, oh, I'll go to earth as long as I can stay in a five-star hotel, right? No, no, he humbled himself, and he was born in a, in a barn, right? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We will never be called to go beyond what Jesus did for us. The cross was reserved for the most heinous criminals. He died on a cross. So Jesus humbled himself by coming to earth, by living a life of obedience to his Father, by dying on the cross for our sins. And then what happened? For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of every Je so that at the name of Jesus, slow down, take a breath. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First, there was the cross, right? There was humiliation. And then there was the exaltation, right? And that's what it's like with us. It's what, like with us, that when we follow him, first, first we're humbled, and then he exalts us. Listen to this next verse. So good. So then, my beloved. Isn't it great to know we're God's beloved? I make so many people so mad. It's, it's really nice to know God is crazy about me, isn't it? Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a minute. What is this work out? I thought we were saved by grace. We are. What it's saying here, you're making bread, okay? You're making bread. So you have your dough, and then you get some yeast, right? And what do you do? Do you just pour the yeast on top and leave it there? What do you do? You, you knead it. You work it so that the yeast affects everything in the bread, right? So listen, we've invited Jesus into our lives. Well, what does it mean to walk humbly with Jesus in my family? What does it mean to walk humbly with Jesus at work? What does it mean to walk humbly with Jesus on my team that I play on? We work Jesus into every area of our life. And here's the really good part. For it is, a, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know why we can do it? Because when we believe in Jesus, not only are we forgiven, but Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the desire and power to follow Jesus. He says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. See how he humbled himself? See how he humbled himself and walked in obedience? See how he was exalted? That's what God wants for you. 
Look at Jesus. He can run your life so much better than you can. Follow him. Um, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him. What would it look like to... What would it look like to follow Jesus? It would be to live a, an anxiety-free life. Would that be nice? You ever get anxious or worry? To walk humbly with Jesus would be to live an anxiety-free life. Well, what keeps us from that? What keeps us from that is our pride. We think God needs our help running the universe. We do. We think God needs our help. That's why we worry so much about things, because we think without our help, these things aren't going to happen. So how, how can the gospel free us? Do you know this week I'm reading in Luke and, uh, and Jesus gets on a boat and they push out in the sea and a storm comes and what's Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's sleeping. How can he sleep in the middle of a storm? Don't, don't you feel like we're in a storm in our country? Do you find it hard to, to sleep? Do you find yourself anxious? So I'm looking at Jesus sleeping in a boat in the middle of the storm. I said, how can he sleep? You know what I thought? First of all, he's tired. We do sleep better when we're tired. But he was always serving other people. He was tired. But you know the second reason? I believe he did just what is said here. See where it says casting? It's a fishing term. It's like throwing out a cast net. So I think he took all of his things that kept him anxious and he gave them to his father. And you know what the father said? I've got this. I've got this. And you know what? Then Jesus went to sleep. He went to sleep because he trusted that the father could run the universe without his help. Uh, know what I do every night when I go to bed? I'm not too anxious all day long, but when I go to bed, all my anxieties overwhelm me. And you know what I do? I take all my anxieties and I cast them on Jesus. My kids and grandkids and all that's going on in the church and the world, I cast them. And you know what Jesus tells me? I've got this. I don't need your help. I can run the universe without your help. And you know what? That helps me to go to sleep. Well, smiley, does it, does it work? Well, a lot of times it does, but sometimes I'm back up at 2 o'clock right in the morning and 4 o'clock and 6 because it all comes back. And what do I do? I do it again and again, casting my anxieties on the one who cares for me. So listen, so far we've learned that to walk humbly with Jesus, we, we do that because we recognize we're capable of wrecking our lives, that we need Jesus and others in our life. We do. We've learned how Jesus is our model for obedience. He's our model for an anxiety-free living. Last Sunday, I was talking about uh, how Jesus says, follow me, and how he's a great leader. And, and a lady came up to me after the service uh, who's been in the military. And she said, you know, Smiley, how it works in the military? And I, I said, no. And she says, the leader says, follow me. And she says, do you know what the soldier said? And I say, no. And she said, lead the way lead the way. Can you imagine what our lives would be like when Jesus says, follow me, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, our response was what? Lead the way. Who does that put all the pressure on? Who? On the leader. It puts all the pressure. You lead. I'm just following you, right? Oh, follow me. Jesus, you lead the way. 
Lead the way, right? So you're, you're a smart group. And so the title today was Walked Humbly with Jesus, right? The point we unpacked was what? Walk humbly with Jesus. So can, can you guess what the action step is? Can you guess? Walk humbly with Jesus, okay? Now, I, I want to help you get there. How do we do that? How do we walk humbly with Jesus? <laughs> it's so good to read God's Word. I, I, I was reading in Luke 18 this week, and all the Scripture, it's almost like it's written by the same person, you know, all these books. So I'm reading in Luke 18, thinking about 1 Peter 5, and I'm reading Luke 18, verse 9, and he told this parable to some people. See the word parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It usually has one main meaning, and I'm going to show you that to you in a little bit. And he also told this parable to some people, listen carefully, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. I said, well, that's today, isn't it? Isn't our country divided, isn't it? By people who think, I'm right and you're wrong, and not only are you wrong, you're evil. And so our country is divided. I'm right, you're wrong, and you're evil. It's exactly what is describing here. He told this parable to some people who trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Uh, one a Pharisee, a good person, a religious person, and the other a tax collector. Now it's hard for me to communicate to you how hated tax collectors were because there's very few sins left in America. There are, right? So, so what would bring the same emotional reaction to us that it would have been brought to them that is a tax collector? It would be like saying someone today is a racist or a child molester. Those are the two sins left in America. So if someone was a racist or a child molester, we would want nothing to do with them. We would consider they're wrong and they're evil. That's what they would have thought about a tax collector going into the temple. What is he doing in here? The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Isn't there so much of that today? People value signaling, virtue signaling. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, I remember many years ago, I'm driving in the car with my niece, uh, one of my nieces, and she said, Uncle Smiley, Uncle Smiley, I'm so thankful that I don't smoke and drink and cuss like so many people do at school. When she said that, I immediately thought, what? Of this passage, she sounded exactly like the Pharisee. Now, I'm kind of thankful I'm kind of thankful she didn't smoke and drink and cuss like the other kids. But you know what I would have loved to have heard so much more? Oh, Uncle Smiley, I'm so thankful I know Jesus. And Jesus has kept me from so many things that are wrecking the lives of so many of my classmates. That would have been good. But you know what would have been even better than that? I wish you'd have said, Uncle Smiley, I have classmates. They don't need, they don't know Jesus and they're wrecking their lives. You're a pastor. Could you equip me? Could you equip me to reach those I go to school with the gospel so that Jesus could, could really help them? Um, how do we respond when we see? Do, are we glad we're not like them? Are, are we thankful that, that Jesus has spared us? Do we have a heart of compassion to reach them? 
But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What is humble? He saw Jesus. He saw himself. He said, I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. Oh, listen to this. I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And you know what the one point is here? Here's the point. Don't miss it that you cannot be too bad to become a Christian, but you can be too good, right? We think some people are too bad. No, no, the tax collector, he went home justified. The religious leader, his problem was he was too good. He was too good. He didn't recognize he needed a savior. Um, so this week, listen, to all humbly with Jesus, let's preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. I'm a great sinner. I have a great Savior. Jesus says, follow me. Lead the way, right? And as you um, preach the gospel to yourself, pray for opportunity to, to share it with others. I mean, do you think this week maybe you'll meet someone who's a sinner, who's broken over their sins? They share with you something they've done wrong, something that's troubling them, some brokenness. When someone shares that with you, step toward them and say, me too, me too. And I've got a great new line I want to share with you. This is really good. Uh, share with them. You know what I love to do? I love to tell people who want to hear about Jesus. I believe Jesus could really help you. Do you want to hear about him? Because if you do, I love to tell people who want to hear about Jesus. And if they say yes, why not invite them? You've been taught this. Invite them to read Luke 18 with you. Invite them to read it. Ask them, who are you in the story? Listen, don't you see the good news? No one can be too bad to be saved. If you admit you'd need Jesus, he would gladly save you. Um, you think this week we're going to bump into a righteous person? You think some, we're going to bump into someone this week who thinks they're right and other people are wrong and evil? If you have a conversation with that person, say, listen, you sound like a really, really good person. I know another really good person that I'd love to share with you. Uh, you know who it is? Jesus. You know what I love to do? I love to share with people who want to hear about Jesus. Would you like to hear about Jesus? And if a proud, self-righteous person says yes, invite them to read the story with them. Invite them to come and see Jesus. With, read the story with them. Ask them, who are you in the story? If they ask, who are you? Say, I'm a sinner. I'm a great sinner. I need a savior. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Uh, want to have a great week this week, do you? Walk humbly with Jesus. Walk humbly with Jesus in your home. Walk humbly with Jesus in the workplace. Walk humbly with Jesus in your community. Walk humbly with Jesus. And as you do, why not invite someone else to join you and walk with Jesus too? Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you came to seek and save sinners. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for rising. Thank you for offering to move in and forgive us and that we could do life and eternity with you. If you hear Jesus knocking on your heart, you've never received him, won't you? I mean, he's here, won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. 
I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. I want you to come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've received Christ for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who've invited you in that we would remember you want to be our friend. You want us to dine with you. I pray that we would remember this week that we are capable of wrecking our lives. Lord, so help us to stay close to you. Help us to stay close to you and, and to one another. Lord, help us to remember how you walked in obedience to your Father and the Father exalted you so that we might follow you. Lord, help us to see how you lived a carefree life by trusting God to take care of things so we wouldn't have to. Help us to cast our anxieties on you. Lord, this week, when you say to us, follow me, follow me, may we say, lead the way, lead the way. And oh, Lord, I pray for every one of us this week that each of us would have a chance to share you with others. Lord, as we bump into a sinner or we bump into a proud person, may we invite them to come and see you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us?